everyone. Welcome back to the main event. You're back with me, Daniel. And Aaron. That was a strong and there, Aaron. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited for this review podcast. I'm sure you are as well. It's a little delayed because of Thanksgiving. Your wife's American, so that is something that you celebrate. How was it? Amazing. Lovely bit of gammon. Well, they call it honey spiraled ham. Okay. But to make it over here, we had to buy gammon. And is that a normal thing for Thanksgiving? I thought it was turkey. No, it normally is, but we're not really a fan of turkey. Like, it's a bit dry for us, but... Well, what I'm going to say is if your turkey's dry, you're cooking it wrong. That's all I'm saying. Everyone says turkey's dry, but you've just got to cook it right. Tip it upside down after you've cooked it, so that all the juices run through it. I have heard to do that, but... yeah. Ham is ham is really nice though, especially when it was glazed with honey. Too salty for me, gammon. It, uh, it's not great for my stomach. Right. So yeah, just sets everything on fire a little bit in my belly. So no, no gammon for me. Bacon, spot on, but not gammon. Bacon's good, but uh, normally for Thanksgiving, if you were to do one, you would kind of do turkey and like another meat for those who are picky, who yeah. don't, who have cooked it wrong, that they have another one. I think normal porks, good choice. Love it. Get a bit of crackling on there. Mm. Stuffing goes with both turkey and pork. So I definitely think there's, there's some room there for a bit of pork. My Nana has pork on Christmas with her turkey and her pork's unreal, but a turkey's dreadful. Her turkey is incredibly dry. So I just pop over in the morning and have a little bit of, bit of crackling and a bit of pork and it's out of this world. So I, I don't mind a secondary meat, but I think turkey's got to be there. Yeah. That's just me. Oh dear. Well, anyways, before we get into all these matches, a dry and boring game week for some, a very appetizing game week for others. How would you describe your game week, Dan, if it was a meal? I'd say it was like a lasagna. Delicious, but also very sloppy interesting uh, and i'd say it was like one of those lasagnas that where you where, where do you know how it can be piping hot in places but a little, little undercooked in others and it's a, ooh, it's a bit of a cold patch there mm. so that's how i describe my game week personally like a little disappointing in places but ultimately i'm still eating lasagna and lasagna is delicious no good stuff i would describe mine like a you're going abroad and you've just tried some new food for the first time. You don't really know what to expect. Halfway through, you go, actually, this is really nice. So that's how I would describe my game week. And all this will make sense when we go into our teams. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, do you want to start off with yours? <laughs> yeah, so um, I got 74 points, which ultimately I can be happy with. But I was in a position where... I felt like I really need to use my limitless wild card this week because I had numerous injuries, wasn't overly confident with the players that I had. But if I'd went into this game week making no transfers, so I went with just the 10 outfield players that I think I had. I think I had 10, maybe 11. So I would have benched someone the following day, whoever the low scorer was on a Tuesday. And no goalkeeper whatsoever. I still would have got 68 points. That's if I had captained Cristiano Ronaldo, which... I had captain on the first day and there was no one that I would have captained on the second day in terms of who was in my team. So including a Cristiano Ronaldo captaincy, I would have had 68 points. So my limitless wild card was only worth six points. 
which I'm a little bit gutted with. So just to run through who I went with for my limitless team, my two goalkeepers were Mendy and Onana, both for three points. So Onana was in, nearly saved a penalty. Nearly doesn't cut the mustard. Defence, shocker. Um, had Alex Tellez. Goodness knows how he's only got three points. He went on my bench. Uh, ben Chilwell with just three points. So he went on my bench. Angelino with three points, who was in my team. Delict with five. Hummels were nine. So that's really good stuff. Jaden Sancho with 12. There was a lot of noise about him, which I didn't listen to. Lots of people tell me to get rice instead. Glad I went with my gut. More Salah. So I'm fuming I put Salah in, to be honest, because I had, who did I have? I had Kingsley Coleman in there. So we all know how that went. But in, in for the first couple of days of people messaging me, it was a case of, but do you think Coleman will play? And my logic was absolutely sounding. Of course he's going to play. He's played 60 minutes at the weekend. He's got a goal and he was subbed off after an hour. That is like all the indicators that he's going to play. But all the media outlets, like German media, they were all predicting that he was going to be on the bench. It's limitless. I don't really want to go with that risk. So I put Zayek in there and then he was on the bench. In what I'm more annoyed with isn't just taking Coleman out, but on the last podcast where I was talking about my limitless, I said I wanted both Fernandez and Rashford, but putting Fernandez back in for whatever reason didn't just cross my mind. And I went with Salah for two points, which was dreadful. Rashford did get eight points, which I'm happy with. Jao Felix did nothing, three points. What a rubbish game. That's bottom of our list, of our match of the day playlist. It is rock bottom. I had Haaland with 10 points, so I didn't captain. I captained Ronaldo with for seven, but then I went with a punt. So the reason I went to change Ronaldo to Lewandowski, who was my captain with 12 points, was I was in a position where I don't just want a good score. I want to push for the very top, and that's going to take risks. So my risk cost me two points overall, which, yeah, I'd obviously prefer those two points, but I'm happy with that risk. If I was happy just to have like a normally good score, then yeah, I would have kept Ronaldo with his seven. But Lewandowski, if Sané hadn't have got his goal, Lewandowski probably would have got a brace because he was just stood right behind him. But yeah, overall, 74 points. So I can't complain with the score. But there's just some things that I'm sure as we talk through the games, I'll bring up as to why it was frustrating at, at times. My other player, I had Lucas Acampos on the bench. And that was another panic buy. That was that was a panic along with the ZX situation. I had a couple of players where I was panicking at the last moment. I thought, I know he's playing. And a Campos was probably Sevilla's best player as well, but no returns. Globally, I've risen about 7,000 places. I'm up to 8,297. England, I'm 148. In our league, I am 13th. But it's all quite, all quite close at the top. Only... I'm less than 40 points behind the group leader for us. And it's about that with global rank number one as well. Like, it's quite hotly contested at the top. So all to play for, still got my regular wild card for the knockout stages, which I think is going to come in really, really handy. I finished on 75 points, which I was really happy with in terms of that I didn't have to use a wild card. I did the typical YouTuber FPL move where they talk all week that they're going to make some moves and then secretly they've already made them and just haven't told their fans. (laughs) 
uh, so that they get higher up the ranks. I like how adventurous you are with the fact that we have fans in quotations. <laughs> Maybe just listeners. <laughs> They're just using their move. So I was drafting my team and then I was kind of looking at it going, I don't need to use it. Like I know that everybody was using their limitless. So I kind of got a little bit scared. But I was just like, you know what? I'm going to save it because I don't want to make the same mistake as last year. And so I did three transfers. I took out Alejandro Gomez for Ronaldo. I then took out Pulisic. And I took out, I can't remember who the last person was, another midfielder though, and got in Jota and Gundogan. And so Captain Ronaldo... I was debating between him and Haaland, went to Ronaldo, and um, yeah, just, I was quite surprised because my, I think it was my defenders that got me, was the reason why I finished so high. Like, I didn't switch my captain seat to Coleman, uh, which I was debating, but I didn't want to take the risk again, kind of, same with you, Dan, hearing that he was going to be benched and stuff like that. I just didn't trust it. But I had Mounier, who had eight points, Hattabauer, who had nine, and Pavard, who had seven because he was subbed off before the goal was scored. Yeah, I took Hattabauer out of my team, obviously, on the on the Limitless, which was... I don't think any of us saw that coming, but we'll we'll get into that with our match preview. But uh, the fact that I, like, I'm happy that I've been able to use my Limitless in match day three to really climb up the ranks. And then in match day four, I was able to keep up with everybody who used theirs. That's, I'm really happy about that. And overall in the ranks, I am 3,692. England, I'm 68th. And in the Atalanta Fan League, I am 26th. So Champion. hopefully I get a jersey or something if I, <laughs> if I finish top of that one. But no, it is actually really close. Like even in the, like the Fan League and stuff, like the top of the Fan League would only be second in our uh, main event league. So, like, it's really, really close. And I'm eighth in the main event league. Quality um, that, yeah. Re- really, really good. I just want to give a little shout out to first place in our in our league, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Go for it. And that is, I'm so sorry if I've got your name wrong, Paolo Moinos. So his team is CR8. See what he's done there. 75 match day points. So he has a total of 330 Mendy, Jimenez, Savic, Taliafico, Gundawan, Dekele, Diogo Jota, Bruno Fernandez, Captain Lewandowski, Haaland, Ronaldo for this week. So really, really good for for him. Obviously, 75 points. Very, very, very respectable score, but consistency's key. Yeah, well done to Paolo taking the top spot this week. Some big movers. But I think we've. I think our league's really, really competitive in terms of global ranks. Anyway, I mean, like I say, I'm in thirteenth, and I'm just outside the top one percent of the game. I think it says there's eight hundred thousand people, so I'm guessing that. But I mean, even last year, I think we worked out that it could be eight hundred ninety nine thousand, and it would say eight hundred thousand. So, but no, overall, uh, off. I, I think it's like good for us to be able to play against these people as well like for like in this podcast league because last year we were only looking at our rankings and not really knowing how close it was 
because I don't think we figured out that one point was huge in this game until it was like halfway through the quarterfinals or something like that. Yeah, it took a little little while. And but now that we're playing against other people around us who are in the one percent, like we know how close of a game it is. So it's all yeah. to play for. You could you can easily get it wrong or right. Like what you said in game week six last year, you only got like 30, 40 points or something like that. We got 28 points in match day six last year. And you're still finished in the top one percent. So like somebody could get it wrong in our league and you could climb up massively. It's all to yeah. play for, so it's, it's very Absolutely. exciting. Yeah, 100% agree. And also it's just, it's a fun game. Give us something to do during the week. So that's the most important thing. Yeah, definitely. Rooting for teams I would never root for. Yeah. <laughs> like I would never cheer at a Haaland goal, but now I, I feel like he's my brother. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's working the other way for me as well, though, because normally I'd go nuts for a Ferenc Faros goal. But mm. obviously with Delicta me team, I'm like, no. Yeah, so yeah. It can work. Work both. <laughs> See you, lad. Well, let's get into some of these games. Starting off with Bayern Munich versus Salzburg. Finished 3-1 in the end. How do you think this game went? Like, you had a few players in the, this game, didn't you? I think not by the end of it, I literally just had Levin Golski. Right. By, so just because I would have had Coleman, and I was obviously debating Sane with that limitless, but it was just another, I don't want to say lucky win because it's a it's really disrespectful to Bayern's attackers because they deserve the goals that they score, but defensively they're an absolute shambles. Manuel Neuer, again to the rescue, he is the best goalkeeper in the world at the minute undoubtedly some of the saves he was pulling off were ridiculous but the defense is all over the place and I appreciate they do have injuries but that if you look at the defense obviously that young Richards at right back no left back sorry Richards at left back Alaba Boateng centre-back he's got a World Cup winner there and Benjamin Pavard World Cup winner at right back I think they can do better than what they're showing us there's lots of speculation about Alaba going to Chelsea, and I've heard the term no-brainer being thrown around. I think Nathan sent it in our group as well, no-brainer. Those are the words of someone that doesn't watch Bayern Munich play. Now, I appreciate what could absolutely be the case is that Alaba, his mind's gone because of the contract situation. That could absolutely be the case. But if you want off his current performances, he wouldn't get into Chelsea's team. He would barely getting to any top 10 Premier League team. He's been dreadful. He nearly gave a goal away in this game. He's been bad for the last few weeks and we've talked about him and we were bigging him up at the end of last season. He had a really bad game even against Barcelona when they destroyed them. He had a bit of a shambles and we're like, oh, what? Okay, that could have just been a one-off. We talked about him pre-season, said, oh, he's been, he was one of their better players in the friendly that they had, I think they had like two or three friendlies. Wasn't much of a preseason. But consistently since the start of the season, he's put in three or four out of 10 performances consistently every game week. So I don't know what's a no-brainer about him signing for Chelsea at the minute. But like I say, that might just be his head's gone because of the contract situation. And if he does get a move to somewhere else, then yeah, fair enough. His he's form might improve, but at the minute he's not been anywhere near good enough. None of the back four really have this year. So I think they've got a lot to 
to thank Neuer for. Sobersly missed an absolute sitter one-on-one. Got to be miss of the night, I think. Definitely. It's either him or Werner. Oh, God. Yes, yeah, you know what? I'll take that back. Werner's. Werner missed two. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Sobersly one-on-one with the keeper and he smashed it over the bar. Not entirely sure what he's doing when... Like, I appreciate giving the goalkeeper the eyes. Like, it's a very favourable move that even at an amateur level, I like to do. But not when you've got so much space to the keeper's left. He had almost the entire goal to hit, just smash it into that bit of the goal. But he's blazed it over the bar. Bayern looked okay going forward. It seemed that the chances that they did create seemed to go in for them. Really unlucky. Salzburg with the second goal, the deflection, wrong foot to the goalkeeper. I thought Salzburg deserved to win, to be honest. They were unlucky. The lads went round the goalkeeper and slipped, and it's just too wide for him then to, to hit the way he wants, and he's hit it with his left foot wide of the goal. Neuer's pulled off some incredible saves at points in that game. And then, obviously, Bayern Munich get sent off, get 10 men because the young midfielder gets sent off. Crazy. I don't know what he's doing. The first one in particular was so late. There's absolutely no excuse for it. The second one is a little more understandable, but it is a yellow card. It's undoubtedly a yellow card. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of an odd one. Bayern Munich still winning, still grinding out results. Lewandowski's experience, that first goal of of sniffing out a mistake by the goalkeeper from Muller's shot was just exactly what you want in a game where you aren't playing very well and you aren't creating that much. And then it's obviously difficult. Once they're down to 10 men, I, I don't think it's overly fair to judge Bayern. Looks good on the counter at times. But ultimately, Salzburg is too wasteful and I don't think the goalkeeper is good enough. What do you make of it? No, I agree with what you were saying. Uh, to say, like, to put it all into perspective, Manuel Neuer saved 10 shots. Yeah. And, like, so he would have got uh, th- he would have got five points in the fantasy game, except from he picked up that yellow card, didn't he, when he was uh, decided to be sweeper-keeper. Yeah, then he blasted <laughs> the ball off the board. <laughs> yeah. But he definitely bailed Bayern Munich out of that. What you were saying about Alaba, I think we'll touch on it a little bit later, but I think the Champions League this year, especially with the amount of research that you and I do, I think the English commentators are really exposed that they do literally no research outside of the English Premier League. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot. And like more so in the Atlanta game, it's a lot of English pundits who are saying that Alaba will be a great addition to Chelsea. And we've obviously been paying attention to... Bayern Munich for the last season and longer. I've not watched Bundesliga, but you have. And we've noticed that Alaba's performances are going and getting worse and worse. And so, like, for those who Champions League fans who haven't done all this research, you know, like normal, normal people. Yeah, normal fans. Like, like if it wasn't for this podcast, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we'd be like, oh, that that Gomez is actually quite a good good player. I've, I've only heard yeah, of Who's he? Who's this? Who's this youngster, Alejandro Gomez? <laughs> oh, he's 37. <laughs> I've never, I've only seen him on FIFA. <laughs> but like, it's one of them things where like Bayern Munich, you would kind of just look at the result and go, oh, normal Bayern Munich performance. But Salzburg were really unfortunate. And unfortunately, just bad results have kept happening to them. And 
the result in the other game, which we'll touch on later, just leaves them in a bad place. And so I, I hope they do deserve to go into, I think they deserve to go through ahead of Atletico Madrid, the way that Atletico are playing. But it, it is unfortunate. And unfortunately, they are on the wrong side of the results too often. And hopefully they can change it around. Yeah, the way that the play is excellent. The issue is, is we've talked about this be the fourth time I think I mentioned it on this podcast. They've sold their entire front line and they do just look a little soft in front of goal. That's pretty much it. And I don't think the goalkeeper is quite good enough. And it's only going to get worse because Sabaslai will get sold and it's another rebuilding job. I think their manager is excellent and I'd love to see him at Newcastle. I just think the work that he does in terms of developing players is is brilliant. So I'm really happy with the other result in the group because it leaves the door open for everyone. I still think Salzburg have just got, have got to go to Atleti and win. But I think the capable of that, Atletico Madrid are so Jekyll and Hyde. What I will say is Lokomotiv Moscow just put literally all 11 of their players behind the ball. So they were just difficult to break down. And I thought Real Madrid are usually a counter-attacking team anyway. They're not really a team that'll unpick locks. So I think it fit into Lokomotiv's hands there. And I think Salzburg's style fits into uh, Atletico Madrid's hands. Yeah, definitely. So I, th- I genuinely do think it's a Europa, Europa League spot that they'll need to be looking for now. Yeah, and uh, this result confirms that Bayern Munich will finish top of this group. Yeah. So obviously we need to be careful about the risk of rotation now. Absolutely. Um, but we'll keep you up to date with that as best we can. Um, and just real quick before we move on to this match, I was like my scores were going crazy. Like sometimes I'll check them just throughout the night just to see how I'm doing. One minute I was high points, the next I was low because Coleman's goal was going back and forth on whether it was an own goal or not. And in the end, I think the game was just nice to him and uh, gave it to him. I don't know what the goal... They gave him the goal, did they? I thought it was, I thought it was an own goal. I think it was classified as an own goal in the like in the actual results, but the fantasy game gave it as a goal. That's ridiculous. I think so. I'm just going to check it real quick. The game is so stupid. No, uh, according to Google, it was ruled as Coleman's goal. I, I think it was an own goal, goal, though. When I watched it, Definitely. I thought it was an own goal. Because <laughs> that's... It was if without the defender's influence, the keeper would have saved it. Yeah, I suppose there, are, there is the argument if the shot's on target, then it's the player's goal. But was it not pretty much straight at the keeper? I don't know. I haven't looked at the trajectory of the shot. It doesn't matter ultimately. And you know what? For the spirit of the game, for the spirit of the game, yeah, go on, have the goal points spawn. Next game we want to go on to is a. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer masterclass, Man United 4, <laughs> Istanbul 1. Fernandez's goal, first, like his first goal, what a strike. I think, like, because he normally takes the corners, doesn't he? Yeah, but I think with Tellers on. Yeah, like frees him up. Is taking them now. We need, I think that's a needs to be a tactic going forward because nobody, I can't think of anyone else who can reliably shoot from distance other than maybe Pogba. But he's not done a long shot goal in actually he's probably not scored in in ages. So other than Pogba, you you are looking at Fernandez as being like the only long shot threat from Man United. Rashford from free kicks. But 
Uh, I think that needs to be a tactic moving forward. But overall, Manchester United in the first half were just dominant. And then I think when they kind of knew that they were going to win, uh, there was a few good shots from Istanbul. Um, Scared a few Man U fans with a crossbar and free kick and stuff like that. But I enjoyed the game. What did you think about it? Yeah, Man United were mesmeric for the first 20 minutes, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the question, is a team playing that good or is the opposition playing that bad? And most times it's somewhere in the middle. I generally just think full credit to Man U. I don't think the outfield players of Istanbul did that much wrong. Man United were just on it. And I had a feeling there would be because you can't go away 2-1. Sorry, go away and get beat 2-1 and not have your pride stung. So I always felt, which is why I was thinking both Fernandez and Rashford, and I just went with Rashford stupidly. But yeah, Fernandez's first goal was ridiculous. The second goal, the keepers put it on a plate for him. Pure luck, let's be honest. <laughs> really good run from Cavani just to sort of put the keeper off. Tellez is really unlucky not to come away with a couple of assists in this game. You know, that's where it goes sometimes. Man United even had a goal disallowed. Fernandez, outrageous ball through to Rashford. Marginally offside, but he's put it through the keeper's legs, so it could have been even worse for Istanbul. Questions about Marshy, uh, sorry, Rashford being offside for the penalty. It looked offside, but I didn't look at any VAR reviews or anything like that because I didn't need to. Mm-hmm. It wasn't given, so who cares? And rightfully so, you know what? If it's if it's not clear and obvious, then I think that's a good use of the rule. Give the advantage to the attacker. Like it was so close. Like he's not goal hanging, is he really? Mm-hmm. When one of these, to be fair, I think it might not have counted because even if any part of your body's in your own half, I think that might. So even though half of your body can be offside, if the other half's in your own half, I think that a lot, I, I don't think you can be offside if any part of your body's in your own half. So that might be why it was allowed. But either way, yeah, it was a pen, really well dispatched, although you give it a bit of the Bruno Fernandez's, which had my heart going. That seems to be the way to take penalties these days, isn't it? You've got to do like a cute run-up. There's not really any yeah. Jamie Vardy's I mean, anymore. I, I don't see many German Germans of the 1990s doing that when you used to smash them straight into the stanchion. I'd say a classic pen. Just smash it as hard as you can or give the keeper the eyes. If you want a pen anchor it, make sure you score. But I'm not a huge lover of the hop-skip jump. You can still give the keeper the eyes without doing that. So I mean, Fernandez and... Jorginho, people are keepers are starting to figure it out. So mm-hmm. they've been missing more and more. And Fernandez, by the grace of keepers coming off the line, is getting second pops at them. My biggest disappointment was with David De Gea. The commentator said, fabulous save by De Gea. And even if he had have saved it, what the hell are you talking about? His position was so bad. We've talked about Alisson before on this podcast in that he never seems to make an outstanding save. And it's because his positioning is usually so good. Why is De Gea on that side of the goal? Does he think a left footer is going to put it into that top corner? Let him try. If he scores that, he scored one of the be- one of the best goals of the season. And no one's going to go, ooh, goalkeeping error. But to be stood so far over and leave all of your near post open. I mean, look, I sit around in my pants most, most days at work because working from home. So, you know... Maybe I'm not the person to get goalkeeping advice from, but some things are pretty obvious. And especially when you see the angle from behind the goal, sorry, not from behind the goal, like from the free kick takers perspective, 
it's just crazy. But more so, I'm just annoyed because you've ruined Tellers' clean sheet for us. So I was fuming at De Gea, absolutely fuming. I don't know why Dean Henderson didn't get another shot. Wasn't like the goals last time were his fault. Yeah, I'm just confused why. Like, I know that De Gea has done, like, really good service to Manchester United. But Dean Henderson was, like, he was the guy coming in, like, last season. Like, the fact that looking at Sheffield United then, now looking at them now, like, he's definitely a big influence in that. Obviously, there's more problems. Uh, people figuring out how to play and stuff like that. He should be getting more of a chance. Like even like Romero, was that his name? Like the other backup goalkeeper, yeah. like even he was continuing. Yeah. He was playing all the cup games. Like how come it's changed now that you have a better backup goalkeeper? Like, and yeah, I know that. Well, I think they just need a draw now to guarantee qualification, but it's just one of them things where De Gea is the Premier League, Champions League keeper, while Henderson will be FA Cup, League Cup. So they're doing... Not great for his development, is it? Going from playing every game for Sheffield United to playing eight games for Man United in a season. No, and then the worst part about it is that you'll not have an opportunity to play with the, this defence. And then when he does a mistake, they'll be like, oh, Dean Henderson has went really downhill, hasn't he? Like, he, yeah. he hasn't lived up to his potential. Well. I mean, it's pretty obvious why not. Um, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think you should go. I think you should. Mason Greenwood came on and was really lively. That's really good to see him back. 100%. Tough month for him. Yeah. So hopefully that's him back at his best. Nice to see Dan James get a goal. He gets some stick. I remember at the beginning of last season, Man United weren't very good and he was like their one bright player. And then other the rest of the team caught up and he had a bit of a dip and everyone just turned on him. Mm-hmm. He's a young lad. He's very much a left winger, not a right winger, but he was always played on the right. I think he's probably been, I think he's been unfairly treated, to be honest. Yeah, he might not be David Beckham, Cristiano Ronaldo levels, but I don't think he's as bad as what some people were making him out to be. And he's a person at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't think he was bought. Like, he looks like, and also, dad died last year. Like, his dad died, I'm sure it was literally a week or so before his debut against Chelsea. And obviously, we don't know what family issues he's got. He's moved away from Wales to England. I know it's not that far, Swansea to Manchester, but there's a massive river in the way. So uh, I just think some people need to give the players a little bit of benefit of the doubt sometimes. And honestly, chuffed to bits to see him score a goal. And it was nice seeing Mason Greenwood play a part in that as well. So mm-hmm. happy for them after probably some tough times for them. I definitely. I think just on that point, I think a lot of people either play too much FIFA or play too much football manager and think that the transfers just work like that, that someone just moves team and then just plays at the best all of a sudden. Yeah. For, for me, I moved to America when I was 18, moving away from family and stuff. Like you go through a big culture shock and and that was to America. Like it's it's not a different language. Like the culture is not that different, but I still had to go through that huge adjustment and being like, he's had lockdown, so he can't just go and drive and visit his family all the time. Because he's not a conservative MP, unfortunately. <laughs> and, but he's 21 moving away from home. Like, 
and just people need to just relax. He's probably worried about his mother. Like if his dad's died, I'd like if 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 my stepdad dies, like obviously I'd be devastated, but I'd be twice as concerned and preoccupied with how my mom would be taking it. Yeah, exactly. And so I think people just forget about the person behind the player. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, and just think that they're just a robot. And because they earn so much, hold them to an unrealistic standard of being a person. And, and, yeah, like, and let's face we're it, all guilty of it. 300 grand a week or anything either, is no, it? No, no, he's not. So I think it's just one of them things. And like, even I'm guilty of it. We had a conversation about Greenwood this past month. And like, we're, we, we do find ourselves being guilty of it where, where's the person like, or and where's like the young person trying to find his way in a very, very harsh environment that even yeah. a 30, 40 year old normal person, if we were put in that situation, we would not be able to withstand the pressure. Yeah. So it's, it, we kind of forget that sometimes about sports and stuff like that. Um, I think sometimes we half forget, you're exactly right, that, you know, that this is, a teenager going through puberty <laughs> like making decisions being given uh, an abhorrent amount of money most likely in just being told to deal with it whilst there are billions because of being a manchester united player the amount of fans they have even in india let alone in the uk and then america the one of the biggest clubs in the world billions of people making comments every day about you but also and this is, I mean, you do a podcast, Aaron, about um, like, why can't we talk? It, obviously about mental health and things like that. And one thing that for me is a massive thing with social media, which is why I've came away from it, from Instagram, from Facebook. I actually never had Twitter until this podcast. And it's just all that follows fantasy football stuff. And some people still annoy us. <laughs> but it's... Um, we all think there is an impossible standard of physical appearance, which is really bad for social media. So curves and fake boobs and abs and filters and all this sort of stuff. But actually, there is a really toxic infatuation with perfection on a moral and personal level. So one reason why, look, as a 31-year-old man, I can say about Greenwood in Iceland was unprofessional you shouldn't have done it it was objectively wrong but why i didn't lose my head over it is because i know at 18 what i was doing <laughs> like and every single person on twitter on instagram on facebook is done things that they aren't proud of things that they regret things that they need to work through imperfections in their personality but we have to profess our moral bene like benevolence on social media we have to be this perfect person you can't say anything out of line you can't do anything out of line and they just jump on the first thing like a footballer will do and yeah sometimes it is morally wrong and sometimes it is unacceptable there are th and especially when you get older players you go well actually you're a 30 year old bloke less excuses but we don't know what it's like being an 18 year old earning millions having millions of girls like at your disposal having people constantly criticizing you physically at a match and then on social media and then in the papers, wherever you go, we don't know what that's like. And I know that without that pressure, 
I've done morally questionable things in my life, as is most likely everyone listening to this. That's kind of what I don't like about social media. It's a place for everyone to pretend that they are saints. And it's not the case. Yeah, have you heard of the... I know this is a really off topic, but have you heard the analogy of the the boiling crabs? No. So if you got like a big pot of boiling water, well, it would be cold first, but you'd fill it with loads of crabs. Then you put the... Um, you put the boil on, and the, as the water oh, starts to heat up, boiling frogs, man, are in. No, 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 no. This is crabs. This is crab. Is it the same as boiling frogs? Though? No, no. <laughs> I know the one with frogs that they'll stay in the water, but with crabs. Okay, right? fair enough. Spot on. So with crabs, what they'll do is they'll start to feel the water get hot, and what they do is create a ladder to help people get out. But then once they like, so they encourage uh, each other as they escaping. But as a crab gets close to escaping, the crabs will pull that crab back down so that they don't escape because they're like, hey, what about us? And as a result, all of the crabs will die because even though they were encouraging when things were going well, they will pull you back down because they don't want you to succeed more than them. And I feel like that's what social media can become is that we're like, oh, we're really happy Greenwood scoring for England. He's scoring for... Manchester United, he's doing really, really good. But then when he's still in a social life, we start to pull him down, try to pull him down back to our level. And we're like, oh, he's doing this. He's an awful person, like stuff like that. And I feel like that's one of the biggest crutches about social media is that we want to see people succeed, but not more than what we do. And so the analogy of the crabs. Yeah. uh, And obviously what you did in Iceland was wrong. Like I'm not saying, oh, we should give him a pat on the back. Like at all, mm-hmm. but just a bit of empathy, yeah. Like, I'm not being funny. If you were 18 year old and a couple of girls were like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come around, and you are single. I sp- to be fair, the one thing that I really disagree with is that I believe Greenwood and Ford and weren't single. So, you know, very like I would never like that's really really bad crack doing stuff like that. But again, teenagers they make mistakes, and what they need are their parents to sit them down and talk to them like any other parent would, their friends around them to say, this is wrong, not six million people saying you should be sacked in that year, this, that, and the other. Yeah, exactly. But on that note, uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, UCL Fantasy Pod. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Oh, dear. Uh, one off topic there, but Man U, top of the group, because they face Paris Saint-Germain or Leipzig, a draw will guarantee them qualification. So they're in a good spot. On to the next game, which is one of your favourites. Juventus 2, Frank Varos 1. That was close. It was close to a draw. Uh, Morata had to save the day. Not very often you have to say them words, but he saved them every it's game true. week. It's true. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for Morata against Barcelona, Juventus would have just been walked all over. Yeah. Uh, you got the two winners against Dynamo. You got the first two in the last game against Ferenc It was a shame he didn't start. Dybala hadn't been playing, and all of a sudden, we're going to give him a Champions League start. I can see like why, because if it had it worked, he could have got a confidence back. But... Why don't you just play your informed players? It just doesn't make sense. But maybe that's just the naivety of, of yeah. Perlo as a young manager. 
last minute winner to to score. I I did want Frank Varos to do well, but Ronaldo let a lot of people down. We were kind of both legs. Uh, we were kind of expecting Ronaldo to do more, but in the end, they've they've won the game and they've qualified. So, but what did you take away from this game? That Juve tactically are all over the shop. I mean, let's talk about Frank Varos's goal. There's no holding midfielder there. So Delict runs out, loses the header. He was in by 13 for Juventus, the centre-back. Whoever it was, one of them fell over, but then didn't really put in a shift to get back and at no point looked over his shoulder to see where the danger was in the box. I was watching, did not look once to see where the danger was in the box. So defensively, it wasn't good. Wasn't good at all throughout the game, but for that goal in particular. But I don't feel like Juventus got much protection. Is Weston McKinney meant to be their holding midfielder? Perlow's getting it all wrong for me. McKinney's just a midfield destroyer. Obviously, he's good on the ball, but primarily, he'll, that's where he should be playing, protecting their weakened defence as much as possible. Yeah, like they played him They played him as a winger. They played a 4-4-2, but I don't know whether the thinking behind it was that they would push up to a 4-3-3 if needed. Like Bernadeschi would become the left winger, Ronaldo through the middle, the baller on the right. The thing is with Juventus so far this season is that they've not settled on a formation or start an 11 all year. Like it's constantly changing. So it's impossible to predict this team. Like on the weekend before this, Buffon was the, was the goalkeeper and he had been for the last few league games. Like how on yeah. earth is Chesney meant to make a relationship with I mean, three of the back four are fullbacks. Delict was the only centre back. And yeah. actually, Quadrado's a winger. Yeah. It just doesn't it that defense needs protection. Delict can't do it all by himself. Alexandro is very attacking. So you need someone to cover there, which is why Matuidi was so good when he used to play there. Uh, he would always drift into that left back spot when Sandro would attack. But you've got Chiesa on the bench. You've got Kulisevsky on the bench, who are all really good wingers. Like, you could have easily played one of them over Dybala, in my opinion. I think... Or not had Weston McKinney on the wing. Yeah, exactly. And so, if you were to play 4-3-3, but I don't know whether he, he kind of... Guess I think twice where he's kind of just looked over Frank Varos and kind of went, oh, that's an easy win. Let's just try. He hasn't, but I don't know what he's doing dropping Morata either. Yeah, I don't know. They don't, as far as I know, they don't have a difficult game coming up. No, they've got they've got yeah. Benevento on the weekend, and sounds like a right back. Yeah, he does actually. Well, sounds like a Harry Potter Lovely. spell to be fair. Yeah, or uh, like a like a coffee size. <laughs> And that, but they don't have any difficult games coming up. You could argue the Turin derby, not this weekend, but next. Like, but that's not difficult for Juventus. It hasn't been for years. Torino aren't as good of a team this year as they have been. So I don't know what he's doing. I thought um, Ferran Faros's keep hours un- until the very last kick of the game was absolutely outstanding again. Some great saves stood up big, you know, so that on a couple of one-on-ones in that second half when Morata was on, I think they hit the post a couple of times as Juventus. And Ronaldo going around him and he manages to get his hand to the ball. I thought he was absolutely fantastic for 
like I say, the entire match until gets Meg from a header. So I think he is one to watch. Gen- like genuinely, this is a, a goalkeeper that I think some teams should be looking at. Maybe not like obviously the elite teams or anything, but he he do a job at some clubs for sure. He's better than Jordan Pickford. Oh, 100%. That's not hard, though. <laughs> uh, and then Quadrado, a couple of assists. In a, a shout out to Ronaldo's first goal because it was class. But not much else to say. It was more so just the drama of it all. And Perlo is struggling. And he's got, I don't think he's got anyone to blame but himself. This isn't, um, you know, Frank Lampard of last year where there's a transfer ban and he'd lost Eden Hazard and he had a bunch of championship players come up and he had to work with them. I appreciate, obviously, they can't be huge in the transfer market, but they have good players in every position, but he can't even play players in the correct position and his rotation is dodgy. You don't need to rotate your keeper. I'm sorry. You just don't need to. Fair enough if it's for like, again, if it's going to be, right, you're playing Champions League, you're playing uh, Serie A because you're still playing once a week, which is a normal amount of football for a goalkeeper to play. Absolutely fine. But yeah, like coming in bits and troughs. No, thank you. Next game. Yeah, so the next game moving on, Munching Gladbach 4, Shakhtar nil. Just another demolition of Shakhtar. I didn't expect. It's all going wrong, isn't it? Yeah, mate? like, I mean, what's the saying? Like, fool me. Like, if shame, like, oh, what's the saying? Like, it's, uh, sh- fool me one shame on me. No, fool me, fool me one shame on you. Fool me twice, shame. Yeah, on me. exactly. Like I, I don't know why I expected any different, <laughs> to be honest. But on the last podcast, I did think that it was going to be closer than what it was. Technically, it was. Yeah, technically, <laughs> but it's still a demolition. I wouldn't say it was a close game at all. I can't remember what I said. I, said, I think I said three 0 or something. Yeah, you, I think you said it was going to be a comfortable win. Fair play to them yeah. people who had went. As a option, 4.3, got 15 points this game week. He hadn't played any of wow um, any of the Champions League so far. He scored a goal, clean sheet, ball out, a goal outside the box, eight ball recoveries, unreal. <laughs> Selected by no wow. percent. So if, if someone had him, then it, they don't do point. Kudos. No point, whatever. I'm sure somebody must have had him in the team. Um, but also... Elvedi, 4.5. He got 14 points. Munch and Gladback defenders just coming in clutch. Like, class. Yeah, all of them doing really, really well, and all of them are cheap. Um, I, mind you, Next I wouldn't get them in. I mean, I would potentially against Inter Milan. But we'll touch on them later. I, I think Munching Gladback will win the next year. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know about their defenders. But then again, with them being so cheap, I mean, it's worth it. With a yeah, punch. The, I mean, over the last few games, a defender has scored for much and glad. Yeah. Take a shot on them. Um, but we'll we'll try and find out which ones are the best for you for, for next week. Yeah. But we'd had um we'd had Lars Stindle on the uh, preview podcast as well. And what did he get a goal and an assist? Yeah, he did. That's that's yeah. twenty five points in two games against Shakhtar for him. Like class. He's found his preferred opponent like he was subbed off <laughs> again and we said that that was always a risk um he played 81 minutes but he didn't need to stay on <laughs> like the the game was yeah. finished uh he got his clean sheet bonus he got his assist goal scored and got three ball recoveries 
class, oh, man. Yeah. Absolute class. Also, big shout out to uh, Donald Brelambolo for his overhead kick. Oh, yeah. Unreal. Unnecessarily spectacular. <laughs> and that's what I love to see for the glory of football and no other reason. What? I'm, I'm seven yards out. Flamboyance. <laughs> overhead kick. Smashed it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, Munch and Gladbach were just completely dominant in this game. And I think they're going to romp to the top of the tight, uh, top of the league for this one. Genuinely, I think they're going to absolutely smash it. And they were the fourth seed coming into the draw. It's crazy. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. But they deserve it. Unbeaten so far. Unlucky not to have beaten Real Madrid in all honesty. A bit of a slow start against Inter Milan with 2-2. But yeah, they're really starting to come to their own. I think the beginning of the season is sort of everyone's pre-season. And now that we're like getting further along, we're getting a much more clearer indication of, of form and players are coming in, into it and things like that. Turam winning the penalty, really clever. So well done if you had him and your team, at least for a couple of points, if not for nothing spectacular. Clear had just came back from COVID, I believe which is why he was on the bench. So I I think they're a great team to go for. And I don't think they'll fear anyone, even the big teams. I don't think there's that many teams that are going to be overly potent against them anyway. They're just really well-organized, classic Germans. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think you can look at Inter Milan as a threat, to be honest. Like, yeah, Lukaku might do like something good. Inter Milan provided nothing but petulance. It was a ridiculous penalty. To, uh, oh, sorry, we'll look, talk about that game later. Yeah, sorry. But like, from, in terms of Munch and Gladbach versus Inter Milan, which I think is the next game, um, I'll just check r- real quick. But yeah, it is. But Munch and Gladbach are going to have a much harder time because Vidal suspended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think Munch and Gladbach are, seem to be the budget options for to do really well. Uh, I think even yeah. in like the round of 16, because they have a good chance of finishing top, they could get an easier game in the round of 16. Like they're going to be some good options there to be able to yeah. fit in some premiums, especially depending on the Inter Milan result. Because obviously game week six, when teams have qualified, um, I think Much and Gladbach are going to be some good options to to have for game week six against Real Madrid. Yeah. So... Totally agree. Um, but Shakhtar, they've kind of fallen off the rails, haven't they? Like, I think we kind of got... Yeah, they're done. Stick a fork in them. They are done and dusted. Yeah. Like you say, I think they genuinely were so sharp at the beginning because they had played more games. Like the Russian and Ukrainian leagues and stuff started early, didn't Yeah, they, they had played a ton of games so in before. They had played like 10 games. So they were just fit, fit and healthy, whereas everyone else was slow starters which I think is something to bear in mind for the next couple of games when looking at any Russian or... Yeah, 100%. Okay, and then on to the next game, Barcelona versus Dynamo Kiev. This game did throw a lot of people off Barcelona. I mean, they did announce that Messi and Roberto weren't going to play. They were in the squad. Uh, Yeah, sorry, De Jong. Uh, They weren't going to be in the squad. Uh, because they had played too many matches and needed a rest. Um, I mean, they're not doing well. 
I don't know what your opinion is on this, Dan, but for me, you would kind of want your players to keep playing with each other. But I think Messi's one of them players where, with all of his brilliance, for some reason, when he's not on the field, the team plays better as a team. I don't understand why. Uh, I think it's very easy. Um, Messi is a supreme individual talent, obviously. And when they've been successful, he's been in a really good team of players, but that worked to a system and he was happy. And because of that, for example, under Pep, they would play a really high press and they'd hunt in packs. And Messi used to work hard, used to work really, really hard. Now he's one of the laziest players I've I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And when they play, when they have the ball, they play with 11 men. And when they don't have the ball, they play with 10, which obviously you're at a disadvantage. So I think as soon as you've got players on that are trying, as soon as you want in possession, you've got an advantage over having Messi. Now, let's get things clear. Messi you need against brilliant teams because he is brilliant and he he's the one that'll do something. But when you take out Messi and you put in Trincao, for example, and you look at Barcelona's team, their players are still better than Dynamo Kiev's teams, but now they've got 11 versus 11 when they're not in possession. So just if you looked at it from like a that sort of perspective... I don't think it's any wonder that they do better without Messi when they're playing against a weak team at the minute. Historically, no, because Messi has always worked hard, but at the minute he's not. So because of that, I just think that numerical advantage out of possession is helping them. And they've got the quality anyway to score against weaker teams. They still need them against big teams because they won't outplay some teams, Barcelona, and they need his genius. Yeah, definitely. One of those. Yeah, it's just an interesting balance. And Braithwaite, player with the most amount of points this game week. So yeah, well done to to the 0% of teams that had him in. No one's got <laughs> if it, someone's got him in, then let us know at UCL Fantasy Pod. Because we need to get you on this podcast. <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he wanted Messi's number 10 and he's managed to get Suarez as number 9. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but no, fair play to the 9% of players who had Dest in their team. Class, I think, great finish as well. Yeah, he's a great talent. Uh, I can't believe that he chose to play for America over Holland and all that drama that went on. I think he would have done really well. I mean, he's going to do well for either team, but he's more likely to win something for Holland. That's a different story. Yeah, I think he preferred the dressing room for the USA team. I think that was what it was. The the USA dressing room really brought him along for the ride. And obviously they've got McKinney, Pulisic. So they've got some good good players. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's great. He's absolutely fantastic. His goal was taken like a striker. Yeah, 100%. He's got great ability on the ball. Yeah. And I think he's a good option moving forward because Barcelona are going to rotate match day five as they've proven match day four. I don't think anything's going to change because of how bad they're doing in the league. They're going to keep their strongest 11 for the league now that they've got, well, they've definitely qualified and they don't need to worry about the points until facing Juventus. And so I think Dest, Braithwaite, some of these cheaper players are good options for game week five. And so that's going to be really interesting to look into. Probably going to have to 
watch the highlights a few times for this game, I feel leading up to the preview show. But I think Dest is one of them players that he's going to be, I think you'll have to get him in your team. And then Ronald Koeman will probably play Roberto next week, but it is what it is. <laughs> but he's not, he, at least he's injured. Well, that sounds horrible, but Roberto's injured for a while. All right. So I do think they are struggling for fullbacks. One of the centre-backs I've never even heard of. So yeah, they're a little weird. Alaba, shock, got an assist. Griezmann scored a really good goal. Not too sure why he's dancing afterwards when there's no fans. It's 4-0 and he's being garbage. Like just, I don't know, fist bump the air or something. Like like you've exercised some demons, but he's just dancing around. Like they're not mid-table in La Liga and he's not been a complete flop so far. Just put your head down, like smash the air, get the ball back on the halfway line, try and get a second. I mean, he didn't even take the pen, but fair play because Braithwaite's penalty was taken really really well mm-hmm. yeah i don't like this is an unpopular opinion i think but i've never really i would never put griezmann even when he was at his best in like the top tier of strikers i've just never he been a fan really of his a striker he was more of a like a Firmino type forward, but he was he's always played off someone or he's played on the left wing yeah and, and he is better through the middle but i disagree i am I think when you win the World Cup as a and you're playing every game as a striker, he carried France quite a lot in the Euros where they got beaten in the final. And at Atletico Madrid, he was for a few years world-class, like really world-class. It's just since the World Cup, the France curse has hit him. We've talked about the French curse. And yeah. it just it struck him the hardest. We were him and Pogba. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely a world-class talent i just don't know whether i would have ranked him in that but then i then again i've not really looked at who all the strikers were at the time and stuff like i that. think but i've just i think he's been quality just not since he's moved to barcelona or maybe a couple of months before he moved as well since all the since the world cup <laughs> since he won a world yeah. cup like every other france player hence the curse yeah exactly and like even when he was at atletico madrid i was kind of just like Ugh. griezmann uh i I don't know. I just didn't like him as a player, but yeah, I agree with you with that. Just, just stop dancing. We'll like to see you do that a few more times in the league before you go back yeah. to being the Griezmann and where you can dance. He was just too OP on like FIFA 16, 17 on yeah. Ultimate Team. Yeah, like, I know oh, I've got the, got the ball from 70 yards out, just tap circle and it's in the stanchion with Griezmann. Dimmy <laughs> head, not going to ever afford him. <laughs> Next game, speaking of unbelievable world-class strikers, he's unfortunately going home alone again because he only scored two goals as his coach joked with him whilst being subbed off. But Erling Braut Haaland, wow. What a player. He's just unbelievable. And like, would you say that he's ha- like he's the must-have striker in the game again? Yes. At the minute, yes. Because I can't say, I don't know who's, Dortmunds are the like out and out strikers. Are they've got a young lad? Well, they've only got one striker in the game. Like if you if you clicked Dortmund and then forwards, Haaland is the only one. And they've got Rice, who's a midfielder on the game who can play up there. But especially with their with their group not being done and dusted yet, I think it'll be different in the knockout stages. Round of sixteen, yeah, but I think they might come unstuck as a team as they get harder opposition and then. 
he he still needs chances if he's going to score. So it's one of them. But I mean, he was gifted his second goal by some outrageously bad defending. But still, he's chucked it away. It was really, really lively. The first goal that he scored, really well put away. It's just unfair on the goal. I can hear the goal screaming with pain as he smashes it in every time, especially with no fans there. Sound of the net's class when <laughs> when he scores. It's just got a Haaland sound to it now. But Jaden Sancho, for me, was the star of the show. Everything that Dolan did free kick. through him. And the free kick was world-class. A world, world-class. I mean, there were some outrageous goals in this round. Um, like I say, Fernandez. This goal, Breelan Bolo's goal, someone else scored a worldie. Can't remember. I'm sure we'll come to it. Oh, it was um, Gravenberch for Ajax. He scored a worldie. So four out of five unbelievable goals. But yeah, just Sancho looks like he's sort of trying to get back to who he is now. Driving at the defence. Played some great balls through for Haaland. Did he get um, Did he get an assist in this? I think he got an assist. Um, yeah, he was... The assist for Haaland, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he finished with 12 points, got an assist, goal scored, goal outside of the box, uh, clean sheet. Class. And Dortmund, not wonderful defensively, still look shaky at times, but ultimately they've got another clean sheet, so who cares? I wasn't expecting it. Like, I remember going in, like, when we were doing our season previews with, like, Nathan and stuff like that, saying who we're going to pick. And I was saying, oh, Dortmund have been really good defensively in the league. We were all kind of uh, going off each other, saying that, yeah, but we don't expect that to continue. It's uh, just early form, stuff like that. But they've actually, even though they're not performing great as a defensive unit, their defenders are racking up a ton of points from a fantasy perspective. It's kind of like Fernandez, Bruno Fernandez in FPL. Like he keeps missing penalties, but he keeps getting a chance to retake them. So it ends up, yeah. he ends up scoring them and getting all the bonus points, even though in real life, he's kind of, he's not doing as good as what he can. And I think this is what Dortmund yeah. are in this game that yeah. they're not performing great, but they keep getting points. Hummels is unbelievable on this game. <laughs> he's been class in real life. Germany yeah. want him back. Apparently all the fans after their 6-0 hammering. And he's he's back to form Hummels now. He was really good in this game as well, breaking up the play. And Mounier is doing well again on the game. I'm happy I got him in a clean sheet and then six ball recoveries. And Guerrero, seven points. Akanji, I got eight points. So, like, if you selected this matchup, you've got Sancho, 12, Haaland, 10, but then the next four players is their back four and goalkeeper. Like, yeah, yeah, solid. Next game, let's try and fly through these now, Aaron, because I think we've been doing this for about half an hour, uh, an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, people will be turning off soon. So we've got Chelsea v. Wren. I mean, Cameron will be happy because he accidentally left Garassi in his team. <laughs> Bullet header. <laughs> Wren always looked like they were going to score in this game. Chelsea just looks shattered. But we need to talk about Timo, Che, Adams, Werner, because... This guy is missing sitters every week now. He missed a couple against Newcastle. Missed a couple the week before. He's missed a couple here. He's blazing balls over the bar from a few yards out. He's lucky that Giroud... Giroud's goal is so underrated. Yeah. Because if you put a, a still frame of this, 
of like of that image, whether the ball's in the air or about to hit off Drew's head, you'd be like, well, that ball's never going in the net. And somehow he's managed to do that. But Timo Werner has trickled the ball at the goalkeeper from, you know, he's what, 12, 15 yards out or something. It's not, not really good enough. I, if I was looking at that team when Pulisic is fit, I'd much rather have Pulisic than Werner. And I appreciate you might want Werner up front, but Tammy does a job up there. I don't, it's just, he's getting a lot of chances, but he's missing so many of them. But then again, he can turn it on as well. He didn't score against Newcastle, but he absolutely ripped us apart at times. So I do see it as an overall, but he needs some finishing practice big time. Yeah. And that's the thing on his day, he is such a good finisher. I don't think he's been rested since he's been bought in, has he? Like, I think he's played literally every, yeah, that, maybe not every might... minute, but he has started every game, I think. I agree. That might be it. It just might need to be taken out for a week, put back in. Because he, he has scored, but he just needs to be a bit more prolific. And it was academy players, again, doing the business for them. Mason Mount, what a pass. And then Callum hudson Adai, composure. Such an underrated quality. Yeah, puts exactly. it in the net. And he was the one that put the ball across for Werner and Missy Sitter. So yeah, really, really good work from, from those. In Giroud, an excellent header. I don't, still don't, not sure how he scored it, to be honest. But it was a very to-and-fro game. It was really open. And I'm glad that Wren give it a go because I think they deserve something out of it, to be honest. I thought they were a little bit unlucky. But it wasn't because I don't think they played overly well. I just think Chelsea looked tired. That was it for me. Outside of the first half an hour. First half an hour, Chelsea were excellent. But as the game went on, particularly the second half, Chilwell looked like he just needed to go get some kip. <laughs> he looked shattered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Ren scoring burnt a lot of teams. Yeah. I know, yeah, like Cameron, if he if his limitless wild card had have paid off, if like he had a click to confirm, he had a triple Chelsea defense that's how confident a lot of people were in this defense I'm not saying Cameron was wrong he was right to to be that confident in the defense but they did just look really tired and against Tottenham on the weekend like this upcoming weekend it's I think they just needed to rest a couple of players but it's good that they're getting qualification like they have qualified and yeah like it's good to get that under the bag they can maybe rotate in the upcoming games uh, yeah. as a result of that. So good stuff on Chelsea. Moving on to Lazio, three, Zenit, one. Immobile, back. I mean... Bang. Back with Lazio, a bang. Yeah, two goals and um, 13 points in the end. I think this is... Because like what we've said through all of these shows, we're kind of like Lazio are so unpredictable. They're either going to absolutely just collapse and draw against these lower teams, but then they'll beat Dortmund. Like, you just don't know which Lazio are going to turn up. The right one turned up this game. They've got Dortmund next, and it's going. To, I think it's going to be... I think Dortmund will win this time around, but I think Lazio are making a good account of themselves on yeah. their return to the Champions League. And Immobile makes all the difference. They look at different team when he's there. Totally different team. Mm-hmm. It's like the system is tailored to him. Yeah. It's kind of like a Southampton where it's the system. Um, that's why they did so good without fans. The system that they play, it's just ingrained in the players and it's just done for the players to excel. I think Immobile, it's just all built for him because we've seen him not perform well in other teams. Uh, it's, it's just all tailored towards him and he's 
one of the best strikers in this system. Barry Oshon, why he's worth four and a half million on the game. Really bad pen to give away. Didn't have a good game anyway. Got yellow carded as well. It was a bad night for him. Bad night for Zenit, other than Zuba, who finally scored, I think, first time since 2018 in the Champions League. He's just been dropped by from the Russian squad. So maybe a goal at the right time. Yeah, it, overall, good game. It makes the next week's game, Dortmund... Lazio very exciting because yeah. neither of these teams can afford to rest any players. We know that at least for now that they're going to field a full strength team, yeah. uh, which will help out for next week. Moving on to another game, which some people say was a shock. We I'd just like to say that I said two one at Atlanta, so I was nearly there. Yeah, so Liverpool nil, Atlanta two. Liverpool did not have a single shot on target through this whole game, which is absolute madness. I think it just shows that Atlanta just came with a game plan and were able to just stifle it. Because Salah is always going to just shoot on sight. He's just one of them players where he gets the opportunity, he's just going to have a crack at it. But I, I just wasn't expecting Liverpool to kind of flop as badly as they did. Really, really happy that Atlanta got a result. I think it kind of... And this is the game that I was uh, referencing at the start when the Champions League exposes that the commentators don't have a clue about other leagues, at least the English commentators, because I don't know who the commentators were. Uh, I think it was actually Steve McManaman. McManaman, yeah. He was like, and he, I was listening, because I don't have BT Sport, but I was listening to the radio commentary. Yeah. Uh, and even on there, they were like, wow, this Alejandro Gomez, he's like such a good player. His dribbling ability is crazy. Like, this is the first time I've been able to see it. I'm just like, how can you go into a game without doing all this research if I'm going to have to talk about it for the next two hours? Like, I just don't understand that as a commentator, but I'm sure they were going in just expecting Liverpool to win. win so five in and... the first game and thought, well, that's that done. But Atlanta were missing so many players. And we said this before, right? We said this on the, the previous podcast. Daruna's back. He will show things up in the middle. Romero's back. He will show things at the back. Galini is back in goal. That's the spine of their team that Liverpool just ran through in the first game. And then obviously Klopp drops Jota Firmino. And, did he drop Mane? Did Mane no, play? Mane played, yeah. Mane played. Sorry. So he dropped... Firmino and Jota, where I think you want to play one of them, they link things, or at least play Taki Minamino, because Origi did nothing. Origi was really poor. Not that he had much to feed on. I think they struggled without Robertson overlapping. The left-back did nothing. Uh, Nico Williams at right-back uh, was okay, but again, he couldn't really get beyond the back three and beyond Gorsons. Obviously, they all just switch off for Gorsons goal. Had to go out of Gorsons. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? So, <laughs> match day four and it finally happens. <laughs> but yeah, Alejandro Gomez, like he's play, he plays the ball in the hatter, but he's also got the assist for our boy Ilicic. I mean, someone asked me if they should put Ilicic in the team, and I went, "Ah, oh, no, don't." <laughs> he's playing rubbish, and his manager doesn't even like him, and he gets started, which is just I don't know what's going on. But he repairs the faith, and Ilicic had a good game. He had a few shots off target from distance, but. Looks like he's getting back into it, and I think he's probably a better buy now than any other Atlanta midfielder or forward. I still think Gorsons and Hatterbor are the way to go, though, particularly Gorsons. 
which is why I'm ecstatic that I've had Hatterbauer. Yeah, they they have got Michelin next, and they have to field a strong team because yeah. that group has blown wide open now. And knowing that Liverpool Ajax, that is a huge, huge game now. And I don't know whether Klopp just thought it was too easy because surely whoever feeds the information to Klopp, like I know they have a lot of injuries, but whoever fed that information needs a talking to because... I think the issue is that they played the Sunday night game and then they've got this, like, which is ridiculous to then play this game because they've got loads of injuries and what is he meant to do? But I still think... And I think what they've done is went, look, Leicester are flying high. We need to play a strong team here. We're going to have Salah still anyway for Atalanta and we've just beat them 5-0. So, and we're at home. I can see where the decisions came from to rest and rotate players. And I think it's, I think the issue is it's too many all at once, but half of that isn't Klopp's fault because like, it's not his decision to rotate the right back. They don't have Trent. They've got to rotate between Milner and Williams. So it's it's a tough, it, it's really tough for them at the minute. And if they come away with anything at the end of the season, it's such an amazing effort from that group of players because yeah, I agree. up against it. And without the captain as well, we've talked about Jordan Henderson's importance. Really missed him in this game. Liverpool had the edge over Atlanta in the first game because Liverpool were able to field a stronger team. Atlanta had the edge in this one and invariably the team with the edge has came away with the W's each time. So it's, it is what it is. No panic. I think Klopp will now look to probably rest a bit more on the Prem. Mm-hmm. And I think they've got the advantage as well, knowing that like, it's still in Liverpool's hands. They have to face Michelin. Yeah. If it all does go bad against Ajax, Ajax and Atalanta have to face each other and Liverpool have Michelin. Like, if it does all go really, really bad, it's still in their hands, even if Ajax and Atalanta win the next game because one of the, like, even if they drew, Liverpool have the goal advantage head-to-head against Atalanta and um, depending on the Ajax game uh, next week, but they beat Ajax 1-0. So it really just depends on, I don't know, does it go on goal difference or head-to-head in in this? I'm not sure. I thought it went on head-to-head. But that's what I've always thought it was head to yeah, head. Yeah, so they're always going to have the head-to-head advantage over Atlanta if there's a draw. And if there isn't, Liverpool beat Michelin and finish second. Job done. With all the injuries, I think they would take that, to be fair. I think they're just the main thing is getting through. <laughs> yeah. And with that goal difference with Atlanta, even if everything does go bad, I mean, I don't mean to disrespect Michelin, but... They they, no, are, that's, they're out. They're done. Yeah, exactly. Like... I don't think that Liverpool at the worst. I don't. I don't think that they'll still. I think they'll still beat them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Overall, good result for our boys, Atlanta. Whoop. <laughs> uh, moving on through these last few games, Man City won Olympiacos nil. Foden's goal was brilliant, but Man City still have a bit of gelling to do, and they've qualified. They've got Porto next, but I'm still not sure whether they'll play a full strength team. God because knows. of how bad they're doing in the league and um, of catching up and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. Gundawan will play, and that's all that I care about. Yeah, get Gundawan in your teams. This 
this was the Phil Foden show. He was the best player on the pitch by a country mile. Sterling played well. I'm not, you're not a score from a free kick. Got the assist for Foden. Gundogan missed the target when he should have smashed it into the goal, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, Gabriel Jesus missed a one-on-one that he should have just been rolling at the bottom corner. It's not good enough from world-class strikers, some of the finishing going on. Yeah, exactly. Like You're training every week and you got a one-on-one and you're hitting it at the goalkeeper. It's not good enough, especially with no fans there. When there's, It's not like there's loads of pressure. Mm-hmm. It's So that's really disappointing at the minute. I think it just opens the door for Aguero to come back. And you, you yeah, exactly. Like, this was the chance. Like Aguero has one year left on his contract. Like this is his last year. This is your chance to stamp your authority so that Man City in the summer don't have to go, right, we need to look for a striker. Like Gabriel Jesus should be going, no, I am the striker. You need a backup for me. But he's just not that type of player, is he? Uh, he's just not, nah, that, he's just not, not that ruthless. Not that mentality. Yeah. And so. I think Man City are going to have to buy a striker coming up. Even if Aguero gets re-injured, I think as soon as January, they'll probably have to go for another striker. But it really just depends on the market because I think they need to patch up a few more areas first. Yeah. Sevilla, two, Krasnodar, one. I know I'm reading them in reverse order, but um, Sevilla not keeping a clean sheet again, burning a lot of people. Both of them have qualified, though, Sevilla and Chelsea. And so I don't think they're bothered. <laughs> they were just focused on getting through. It's going yeah. to be interesting to see who does finish top out of the two. Couldn't call it right now. It would be fair. I think as that game against the two teams showed last time, it's going to be tight. I think they're very evenly matched, although Chelsea are getting all of their best players back. So I think they're in a better place. But what did you think of this? Dominant from Sevilla first half, a Campos best player on the pitch. Rakitic, that was another worldie. That's what I was thinking of on the volley. Mm-hmm. Smashed it, bottom corner, wonderful goal. He's classing, isn't he? Yeah, he got 20 points over the last two games. 7 million, owned by 3% of players. So well done for those who have him in. But what was really nice to see was Kunde having a great game because he's stopped one on the line. He's nearly stopped the goal on the line with his thigh and he's done well not to harm ball it, to be honest. Because a lot of players will instinctively just stick an arm out with that. He's nearly got a goal because he's playing it right back. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Him and Acampos down the right-hand side were excellent in the first half. Acampos less so in the second half, but Koundé was consistently brilliant throughout the game. Krasnodar just turned the heat up on them. And ultimately, Sevilla are very lucky that Munier scored an excellent goal. Mm-hmm. To give them a 2-1 win. I'm going to say Chelsea will finish top because I think even if Sevilla and Chelsea draw, I can't see Sevilla beating Chelsea. I think it'll be a draw, Chelsea win, probably a draw. Because the head-to-heads will all be the same, or Chelsea and Sevilla, then I think it goes to goal difference and Chelsea have got way more. They'll be yeah. Krasnodar 4-0. Yeah, I, I, I so. think so. I think Chelsea are definitely in the better place, but... Paris Saint-Germain won, Leipzig nil. Robbed. Paris Saint-Germain defending for their lives. Leipzig were the better team. Never a pen. It was never a penalty Yeah. in a month of Sundays. It was a dive. What is VAR doing? It's there. Like, use it. If you've got it and you want to ruin all our lives with it, at least use it. Book Di Maria for diving. And You don't have to book them, just at least overturn the decision. Neymar... I thought the keeper should have done better, should have saved it. 
and from then on, it was just attack versus defense, really. But but what I will say, it was really good defending from PSG. Leipzig struggled so much to break them down, compact. And then in the second half, PSG had a couple of chances to hit them on the break. Didn't really work out. I was just so, very, very surprised not to see Moise Kian start. Very, very surprised. But I think it was the only thing they could do because obviously outside of Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria, they were a little inferior to Leipzig because of all the injuries and suspensions. Obviously, they've still got Marquinhos. They've still got some class players, but we've spoken before about how important Verratti is. And then without Idris Aganagay, Kimpembe, these sorts of players, Draxler, who was excellent for them at the start of the season, was one of their better players. And amongst others, that aren't playing, Kera, who's been uh, playing a lot, injured. So for them to get through this with a 1-0 win, is absolutely perfect and a really, really good job well done for them. And that the second place in that group is just anyone's it's up for grab for, for either of them. And it's just really nicely poised that that PSG won. Although I probably would have preferred Leipzig to win. And I don't think PSG deserved to win because they didn't deserve to score. I thought a draw was a fair result in that game because it was never a penalty. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just whoever can beat Istanbul the most now. <laughs> yeah. Or Man United. They've got they've both got Man United and they've both got Istanbul. So Yeah, like it's still not finished in that group. Like I don't think Istanbul will pull off any more shock results. I think there's too much to play for. But Man United need a draw. But I think on their day, both of these teams can beat Man United. Yep. But then again, on on Man United's day, they can beat any of these. They so have. It's be, they have beaten gonna, both of these teams, so exactly, it's going to be a very exciting finish, and I think that is this is also a group to target, attacking wise for game week six. I think that's key now is figuring out who's at risk of of rotation. Like Man City, I would avoid completely now, except for Gundogan, because you just don't know who they're going to play, and unless they have an early kickoff, you've just got no way of knowing. Because I don't know how much they're going to put attention into. Into Porto. I don't know. I don't mean to backtrack onto another team we've just talked about, but I think it's going to be PSG and Leipzig are going to be teams that we could probably target with confidence, especially like Neymar Mbappe against Istanbul again. But yeah, see how that goes. On to the next game, Ajax three, Michelland one. Again, another clean sheet that didn't happen, but. <laughs> Overall, good performance by Ajax, and that opens up this group really, really nicely for the last two games. Yeah, just a big shout out to uh, Gravenberch for an unbelievable first goal, 18-year-old as well. Absolute class. Uh, Labiad nearly scored. Oh, so close. He should have scored, but the keeper has pulled off a great save. Anana, so close to saving the penalty as well, which would have been terrific if he gets a clean sheet and that penalty save. So close. Yet so far. <laughs> but absolutely nothing to say because this is exactly what we expect. And if anything, Ajax have just let me down by conceding twice against Michland when Atlanta and Liverpool managed to keep clean sheets. Yeah, exactly. On to the next one, Porto 2, Marseille nil. I think this is a team that we could target with defenders. Overall, out of all of the players this game week, Sanusi, I hope that's pronounced right, 14 points this game week, 1% owned. Wow. So well played for the person and group of teams that had him in. Clean sheet, goal scored, and six ball recoveries. 
So well Incredible. done. Um, but they seem to be a team that you could target, like their goalkeeper, for example. Probably not against City, but game week six, again, could be a team that could do well, even though both of them are qualified. Yeah. And just kind of see how that goes, really. Oliviera with another penalty. Just if if you need a budget player, just get him in. Just get yeah. We said it before, we'll see it again. Oliviera, get him in. Mm-hmm. On to the last game, clean sheets that did happen. Uh, two good, <laughs> two good defenses. Uh, Locomotive Moscow difficult to break down, but Atletico Madrid should have done better. They kept a clean sheet as well, so I guess it's good for those who brought in Jimenez. Um, yep, due to absolutely. his price drop, um, he's got eighteen points in two game weeks that he's played for four point nine. Fantastic. So, like, that's why. That's why he's such a good option to bring in. And All Black backled Monks the uh, clean sheets and he had a price drop as well. But yep. it's disappointing Boring for Atletico. Than that, wasn't it? Yeah, disappointing for Atletico Madrid because they're like, that's that group is not sorted. Like Atletico yep. Madrid could lose twice and any of the other two could go up depending on the result of that game. And I think it's Bayern Munich versus Atletico Madrid next, isn't it? Yep. So exciting times. Yep. That's all from this game week. Uh, yeah, that's everything done. Just so many, so many games, so many games to go through. It wasn't the most exciting of weeks, to be honest. I I found a bit of fatigue this week trying to watch the games because just less excited. Fans not being there is hurting it. And so much rotation. And it's not the teams as faults. They need to do it because of the ridiculous scheduling. Mm-hmm. Which again is no one's fault, but COVID's, and I just think that's affecting a the quality of the football. But b like match day four, there shouldn't be this much rotation. It's usually five and six, usually yeah. sound for four, but it's just yeah, it's got to be done unfortunately. But yeah, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at UCL Fantasy Pod. Now you've got our own Twitter handle there, <laughs> and of course we're on YouTube. Spotify is the main event, so like and subscribe to that. Aaron, thank you so much for jumping on as ever. And we'll see you all for the next one for our Match Day 5 preview show. Take care now. Bye.